bow with me in prayer as we close our eyes and bow our heads I'll just take a deep deep breath Lord this week I ask that you would help us to shed the worries or the uh, busyness of this week I know one of my friends lost his dad this week and another had a really stressful time at work another is out looking for a job so Lord our community, we just ask that you help us to be in your presence. Whatever each individual is thinking of right now that might be entangling or distracting them, I would ask, Lord, that you would alleviate them and that we would have presence of the Almighty that we would be able to concentrate on you and what you have done, what you are doing, and what you want to do. In the name of Jesus, amen. Service with a smile. Did you see that bulletin? wasn't my idea. That was Tennyson. So we all have to look like Ronald McDonald if we want to be Christians, eh? Yikes, did you see that bulletin cover? Well, I was thinking about service with a smile... And probably all of you have experienced uh, really good or excellent service. And I know everybody has experienced really poor service at some point in their lives. So there was one time that was kind of interesting. I, I, I started pastoring in 1995, just 20 minutes north of Lethbridge, Alberta, in a little town called Picture Butte. And in Picture Butte, uh, I was the second guy there. So there was the the senior pastor and myself, associate of, of uh, music and kiddos. And it was interesting because uh, there was somebody that lived very close to the church. So if they looked out their living room window, they could see everything that was going on in the church. And then, I, and then there, there was the pub, two doors down, and then my little house. So uh, one day, Randy got up the courage. That's the guy that lived across the street. Uh, him and his wife had gone through all sorts of stuff. She had actually just been coming out of the occult a, a number of years earlier. And he finally got up the uh, courage to walk closer to that church and kind of look through the double, uh, double uh, glass doors. And there he saw a guy stacking chairs, kind of mopping, sweeping up, and just getting the table just right. So then they saw each other, they kind of waved, and he got to meet the guy. And he thought, well, he's, he's approachable, so maybe I'll try them on a Sunday morning. So... After his experience there with a the janitor, he came Sunday morning with his wife and kiddo. They walked through those same doors and up those eight steps of vinyl into the sanctuary. And lo and behold, he lifted his eyes and guess who was preaching? The janitor. <laughs> or the preacher. Or the janitor. Or, or the, who is this man? So that was kind of a neat entryway for Randy and his wife and his family to come and just see the excellent service of the guy I used to work with. Uh, Rick was a fantastic example of, 
uh, of faithfulness, of, of um, preaching the word of God with enthusiasm, and he had the gift of evangelism. Evangelism means he's good at, at sharing the, the hope that's within him. He's good at sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. This guy could take almost any conversation, and you'd just be talking uh, anything, and all of a sudden, he'd take it off over here, and it wasn't awkward. You know, sometimes it's awkward. Well, this guy had the gift of bringing it around to important stuff, and it wasn't awkward. Good preacher. It was really funny. He was about four apples high. And uh, good preaching, but uh, it, I, it still makes me laugh to this day. His, his son, Nathan, who was a young teenager, if Rick would ask, so how was it today? He would say 42 times. Huh? And what that meant is Rick would get excited and he was short, so he'd always go up on his tiptoes like this. <laughs> 42 times today, Dad, you know. Uh, those kids. Have you ever been impacted by incredible service or have you ever been impacted or influenced by poor service that's almost like ruined your day? I want us to look a little bit into that. Uh, a story of not only service, but a story of being in the presence of Christ. A story of worshiping Christ with abandon. And also a story of learning how to serve people and serve the church with a smile. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 10. We'll be jumping around Luke chapter 10 and John chapter 12. Two related passages, but two different times, and actually two passages that are written to different audiences. So the first one was actually written more to a Gentile slash Greek audience. And why I say that is sometimes Matthew, Mark, they'll have all sorts of detail, or they'll have, they'll have stuff like genealogies, which are really important to some people groups. And then to other people, maybe like you and I, that are just like, what? We turn to John or we turn to Luke and it makes a little more sense to us. So Luke and John, let's go to Luke chapter 10, verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And she came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all this work by myself? Tell her to help me, exclamation mark. Let's pause there for a moment. First of all, we see something pretty cool. Is Martha opened her place to Jesus and the folks that were following him to come in. To the, to come in. And then we see Mary sitting and listening and, and lapping it up. And Martha's distracted and, he's, and she's, she's helping and she's, she's serving. But you can see one eye is on Jesus and doing the cool stuff, and one eye is on her sister who isn't doing anything, just sitting around. You know what I'm talking about, you know? Martha, 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 Jesus says. You're worried and upset about so many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one thing, and Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Pause. I'm hoping that today that we don't just pick on Martha or that you go, I need to become Mary. Or we, I'd like us to become a hybrid of these three folks. I think Lazarus has something to teach us, which we're going to see in, in John chapter 12. I think Mary has some pretty cool stuff about her. And boy, do we ever need Martha's. So let's jump into John 12 now with the whole thing of Luke 10 or Luke chapter 10 in mind. Here now we jump into John 12, and it says, Six days before Passover, 
Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus raised from the dead. Did you get that? So you're going to be paying attention. Either one, to the smell, because he was a four-day man. He was in the tomb for four days, and that was not good. That did not smell good, right? He was a four-day man. So he was raised from the dead, and here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Here we have good old Martha, and what's she doing? She's serving. While Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. I got a kind of giggle at this, because you got two women here. You got one that's lapping up what Jesus is saying, and you got one serving, and what's the guy doing? I love it. <laughs> I can do this. <laughs> Nonetheless, here we go. Um, Martha, Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took uh, about a pint or pint of perfume, nard, pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with fragrance of perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objective. Why wasn't this perfume sold and money given to the poor? I mean, it's worth a, a year's wages. Now let's stop there, because now we're cheating. The next part, verse 6 and on, you're cheating. Now you know the rest of the story and what's behind there. But let's just pause there for a minute. And Judas would make an excellent Mennonite or Dutch person or Scot. He, we want him on our board, right? We want him to say, wait a second. Why are you wasting this money on Jesus' feet? We could have a bigger Sunday school, a new building. We could, you know what I'm saying? Love it. But we get the cheat. It says here, he did not say this because he cared about the poor but because he was a thief. As a keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. And Jesus' response is, you know, leave her alone. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see who? Oh, hold on to that. Whom Jesus has raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus. <laughs> I love this story. So the pastors and the priests down the road and the Sunday school teachers all got together because we've got to kill Lazarus because he's making us look bad. You know, when you think of it that way. So, so the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus. Many of the Jews were going over to a relationship with Jesus Christ and leaving the religion that they had grown up with. So we have this incredible portion of scripture here that's painting a beautiful narrative of what's going on with at least four characters, Jesus, Lazarus, Mary and Martha and then a whole crowd. And not only that, we have the chief priests and their response to it. I think if we take three of these characters, these main three that it's talking about besides Jesus, and we put them together, we only notice, sometimes we only notice what, what Mary's doing right and what Martha's doing wrong, but I think there's more. 
I think if we actually see what each three of them is actually doing, we can bring that together in this hybrid model that I'm talking about, and I think our discipleship will be richer. Here's what I mean. Let's look at the first one. First of all, you need to learn how to rest in Jesus. Another way to say it is you need to learn how to be. We're not human doings. We're human beings. So yes, we got to do stuff, but some of us find our identity in doing. What did you do this week? What are you doing for me? What have you done for me lately? And all that kind of stuff, right? That dates you if you knew what that actually came from. We need to rest in Jesus. Lazarus had this down path. We need to be, um, rest in our stance, rest in our position that we have in Christ. You know what I'm talking about because many of us have angst. Many of us have, I wonder what he's thinking about me right now. Or if only these people that I'm sitting with right now knew where I came from or what I did. Or I hope God likes this. There's so many things that can fill us with anxiety and get us off track. And this is so important and foundational because if you get this screwed up, well, probably your worship and your service is going to be messed up. So, who are we? Rest in your position in Christ. Rest in that. Don't rest in who you are, who you are not in your marriage. Don't rest or don't be pressured into thinking, what's your pecking order with your buddies at school? You're not who you are according to this economic rat race. You're not who you wish you could have been, but who you are in Jesus Christ. Do not be fooled, you guys. Lazarus is sitting there, but he was a very, very dangerous man. Why was he dangerous? As Mark Buchanan would, would, would uh, say, he was dangerous because he was a resurrected man. We know from going back to scripture that we just read, and they came not only to see Jesus, but they also came to see Lazarus, who Jesus had raised from the dead and now he's so dangerous to the religion he's so dangerous to my thoughts he's so dangerous to all of us and our what we're used to thinking that you know what let's kill this guy because he's messing with our thoughts about god he was a walking advertisement that jesus was god he was a walking advertisement that god is all-powerful he was a walking advertisement that jesus loves him and jesus loves you we cannot ignore Lazarus. In fact, when we go back to John chapter 11 and Jesus finds out that Lazarus has died, what's the absolute first thing he does? Does he hit, hit the floor on his knees? Does he cry out to God? What's the very first thing that he does when he finds out his friend is dead? He cries. He wept. I don't know about you, but I like that. To me, that really shows that Jesus cares where you're at. He cares your loneliness. He cares about your sorrow. He cares that you're struggling to pay the rent. He cares that you're not happy within your job. He cares that your marriage could be better. He cares, he cares, he cares, he cares. Jesus wept. Make no mistake. Lazarus being alive and well was a real pain in the butt for people that didn't believe in miracles, 
for people who didn't want to believe that Jesus is God. It was a real pain for people who didn't think that God actually does care. And it's a real pain for those of us that have preconceived notions of who God is. This dead man walking, this dead man being alive, kept pointing people to Jesus. Kept pointing people to the truth of Christ. Kept pointing to some of my thoughts that may be erroneous, even about myself. This dead man walking and being alive kept pointing to Jesus. How about your life? Does your life, does your walk with God point to the reality of Jesus? Are you like that guy in the bulletin cover? Like you're, you're just pumped to be alive in Christ? And let me pause there and just say this. That doesn't mean that you're always happy, happy, joy, joy. I mean, I think one of the best things that we can do as Christians is to be real. There's so many times that we think, I think, I think sometimes we have this mentality that we almost have to protect Jesus or protect the church because I'm supposed to be joyful now. I'm supposed to be happy. I'm supposed to have a smile on my face. And sometimes life is lame. Don't you think? Just because you gave your life to Christ, does that mean like all your problems have been absorbed and now you're just like, <laughs> well, no, right? We still go through stuff. We talked about last week that even Paul, who probably has a few more connections here because he has just dove into church planting and dove into Christ. Here, this guy in, in Romans chapter 7 and 8, he talks about, I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things that I want to do. And in, in chapter 7, he uses I, 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 37 times or something like that. And in the next chapter, he talks about now me in the spirit, in the spirit, in the spirit, in the spirit. That's the same thing you're going through. If you're still struggling with your identity because you're going back to me, me, me and what you think God thinks of you, you're going back to Romans chapter 7. If you're really caring about what your neighbor says, I wonder what she's going to think about me, you're going back to Romans chapter 7. But if you're going, God, I've got to get this under control. I want you to take this part of my life. Romans chapter 8. Lord, I know there's room for growth in my marriage. Romans chapter 8. Lord, Oh, I'm just so busy, but I'm going to start my day because I know you want to impact my busyness even. Romans chapter 8. He wants to impact your life. He wants you to be a dead woman walking. He wants you to be a dead man walking. Does your life reflect the reality of Jesus? Another question. How cool would it have been to be Lazarus, okay? Knowing that God found him worth resurrecting. Think about that for a second. If I'm Lazarus and I go like, lots of people have died in history, but there's something that Jesus came and rose me from the grave. That but how much different is it for you and I? Jesus Christ went to the cross and he paid the penalty for all of our sin, all of our wrongdoing, all of our wrong thinking. He paid the penalty for that. So what I'm saying is, yeah, he thought Lazarus was worth resurrecting. Well, 
he thought you were worth dying for. Isn't that awesome? You were worth dying for. So you guys, it's so important to realize that Lazarus had something here. He was just raised from the grave and his presence was blowing people's mind because his very story, his very presence was spilling over with the power of Jesus Christ. And please do not underestimate your story. This is where we can go like, well, you know, Steve, I, I, I didn't do a whole lot of bad stuff. And I don't even remember when I came to Christ. Come on. Each one of us has had a struggle. Each one of us knows that if Steve was by himself, Steve didn't care about you and Steve didn't think about God, I know that my natural tendencies would probably be pretty darn selfish. So you know that you've been changed. You're a dead person walking. And now, like Lazarus, when you walk, you might just be splashing and spilling out all over the place. All over the place. And he wants us to use our stories and our presence to help people understand not this religion, but this relationship with Jesus Christ. So he wants us to learn how to be. And he also wants us to learn how to take time to worship and meditate. According to our passage from John, what Mary did was costly and abandoned worship. So can you imagine this? She takes this year worth of or a year's wage worth of perfume, and dumps it on it. I can totally look at Judas and go, oh, I might be siding with Judas on this one. That's a lot of dough. In fact, why doesn't she take a little symbol of perfume and this, there you go, Jesus. Or let's, you know, let's get a little bit more. And we'll, a little bit, uh, there's a cup, but, and then she can sell the rest, like compromise. I mean, I think it makes wonderful sense. If she only would have asked me. But isn't it interesting that if this was her perfume, she dumped it all over Christ's feet. Could she get it back? After this narrative, Jesus leaves the room. Does she quickly get a razor blade or a, a dustpan and just trying to collect it and trying to quickly put it back? Where's some of this stuff here? And trying to quickly put it back in the bottle and then use it for next time? It's gone. It's costly. But let me tell you, this could be my perfume or my cologne, and I might go home every day and, oh, and for me, all right. But how much more if I open this puppy <laughs> and I spill it out? We know from our passage here that, yes, she could have held on to this precious smell. But when she poured it over Jesus' feet, the room was filled with the aroma. So it's really interesting that just like your story, you might want to keep your story private. And, yeah, you got you to gotta use wisdom when sharing parts of your story appropriately and all that stuff. But there's a good chance that when we open the bottle of our story, it starts to fill the room with glory to Jesus Christ because what he's done. And then the whole community gets to start to see, like, whoa, that's because of Christ. That's because of Christ. She took the place of a slave and she humbled herself. 
I mean, she got down on the ground. Just please, this is a true story. So she gets down on the ground. She dumps out her perfume and then grabs her hair and wipes his feet. That might be a little awkward. Like if that happened to me or if that happened in my house, I'd be like, <laughs> changing the subject or trying to get people to move over here it would be really awkward but here it was abandoned worship she did not care what people thought at this point she was connecting with Jesus Christ and she felt that this needed to be done and what does worship mean worship means to ascribe worthship he is worthy so I'm giving him my best and I'm giving him my all Not only that, but worship is seeking the face of Christ no matter what anybody thinks. Okay? When I was a kiddo, I was probably 13 or 14, I grew up in a, a, a little bit more of a conser- conservative, but still a, a great church. But one thing that I remember is we brought in this guy uh, named Henry Unruh. Henry Unruh uh, was this guy that was fiery. He was a firecracker. And when he brought the gospel or he told stories, even the kids would be sitting on the edge of their seats. And this was no different. Henry Andrew had a testimony. He was totally, 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 totally shiny bald, including no eyebrows. Because apparently what happened to him is he was nailed into the boards playing hockey and he broke his back or his, his neck. And at some point that also messed up some of that. And, and he never, ever grew hair back from the situation. So he was one of those guys that you look twice. And then when he opened his mouth, you're paying attention. So I remember as a kid, I was sitting there in church, and then there came a point where he just says, you know, if God wants to do something, if Jesus is speaking into your life today, how about you come on up forward and get prayer? Well, you guys, everything about this young teenager was going, yes, yes, yes. But I was in an atmosphere where I didn't see a whole lot of people ever go forward. And I was like, well... If people see me go forward, then they're going to know I'm messed up. <laughs> they probably know it already, but, you know. And that day, I didn't go up because I was scared what people thought of me. And I don't feel guilty about that day, but what I do is go is I go, I wonder what would have happened differently in my life if already back then I learned to surrender. Eh? I don't know. So like I said, I don't feel guilty or shameful about it, but there was just a lesson there going, hmm, I wonder what the Lord had for me that day. I wonder what he had for me that day. Like I said, <clears throat> Judas was a, could have been a good Mennonite because he figured out and he calculated all the money that was there and it, that could have been saved up and used on better programs. But worship is costly. There's this great story in the Old Testament where something amazing happened with David, King David, and God. And David was overwhelmed. And the place where this happened, he just said, I've got to sacrifice. I've got to worship the Lord there. So he went over to the place where it happened and happened to be a plot of land or a threshing floor that Arana uh, owned it. So he went to go get it. And then Arana sees who it is. And he says, oh, king. I would love to give this to you. Go ahead and take this threshing floor. Take my land. Uh, it's, it's yours. I just want to give it to you. And David says, uh-uh-uh, no way. What is it worth? I'm paying you for it. It's interesting because here, uh, 2 Samuel 24, 24 says, But the king replied to Arana, No, 
I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen and paid 50 shekels of silver for them. David built an altar to the Lord there and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings unto God. So way back then already, he just knew that this is no freebies. This is costly. And it's the same thing with us, you guys. Sometimes worshiping the Lord is costly in the way that you make a break with your old life and people now find you awkward. Sometimes it's costly in the way that you'd love to spend this money on a snowboard trip, but you're going, I just have a sense I, I, I need to give it to a youth group or I need to give it, you know, something like that. Or it's costly in time. I don't know. But Mary shows us a pretty good example on giving without abandon and costly. So we need to learn how to be. We need to learn how to worship and respond to Christ. And I really think that if we learn how to be and learn how to worship, we're going to automatically learn how to serve, I think. I think. Martha served, and we like to get we like to jump on her because Jesus admonished her. So we like to laugh at Martha and going like, Martha, Martha, take it easy. None of us are Marthas, right? None of us get busy. None of us look at one eye on the church and one eye on the way. She's sitting around all day long, right? Or when you ask your wife and she's washing dishes, hey, babe, you need some help in the kitchen? No, that's okay. She's lying. <laughs> you all know it. She's lying. Right, So she's doing this, but she's saying, he better come and help me, even though I said out of my lips, no, I don't need your help. He better if he knows what's good for him. Right? We all have that kind of thing. We need to serve. It's true that Jesus admonished her, and, and so would other parts of Scripture. In fact, Matthew chapter 6 says this, Therefore I tell you, do not, do not worry about your life, what you eat or drink, or about your body, what you wear. Is life not more than food or the body more than clothes? Look at the birds. Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or, or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are they not much more valuable than they? Or are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Let's ask that as a real question. Does anyone in this room know how to worry so well and you found that you have a perfect remedy on how to worry properly, so you actually add life, add hours to your life. Does anybody know how to worry and add? Good. We're all on the same page. Excellent. So Philippians, same thing, says don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for it. Then in chapter uh, 4, verse 7 of Philippians, then you will experience God's peace. which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your heart and your mind as you live in Jesus Christ. I love this, because what it's saying is, don't worry about the stuff. Talk to Jesus about it. So don't worry about the stuff. Be like Lazarus. Don't worry about the stuff, but talk to me about it like Mary. Don't worry about it, because you know what? I want to hear you, and I want to take care of this stuff for you. I love this. You will experience God's peace when we realize that he's got our back. 
And more than that, it says he will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. So maybe you've been struggling with the past, unforgiveness of yourself. Or maybe you've been struggling with going back to the good old days when you used to go to the pub with your buddies and all that stuff, and now you're married with a bunch of kids. And you're, you know what? It says here that when we lean into him like this, he will also help guard our hearts, so our affections, and our mind, and what we're thinking. So these are some of the things that are fantastic tools or almost weapons against some of the stupid or short-sighted thoughts that we might have. I think we can agree that worrying is pretty useless and busyness is overrated. Yet we need Martha. We need service. We need it. Not only do we need service, but I think people need to be served. I was just at a meeting this week at Sam Amahouse. So at Sam Amahouse is, is a fantastic place that puts on all sorts of life and uh, work and friendship programs for people with disabilities, mental disabilities, and stuff like that. I sat in a meeting where there's this whole change within it, and what's happening is now they're not just shuttling off people with disabilities into a, a place that's just, just for people with disabilities. They're not just shuttling off somewhere behind a brick wall. What they're actually doing is coaching them and helping them be set up with a, a job or work experience, and then bringing them alongside just normal jobs, getting them hired, and paying them minimum wage. Okay? So what's really interesting is I sat there and I heard parents go, but what about, like, what's going to happen to my little Johnny? And I actually heard somebody with a mental disability just say that sometimes we're made fun of and sometimes it's uncomfortable and where are we going to hang out with our friends? Fantastic points that I was listening to, but at some point I just couldn't help it anymore and I put up my hand and I'd just say, you guys, seriously, I understand what you're talking about and that, that's sad for me and it's real, but the world needs us. The world needs you. And what I mean by that is somebody with a mental disability or something like that, if they come alongside and they're at Save on Foods, you need that. I need that. We need to learn how to be served by them because they're usually amazing at serving. And we also need to be exposed to them in the way that there's a good chance that their attitude toward work is one of the files that God uses to file off the burrs in your life and in your discipleship. I love it. We need each other. And that's kind of what we're talking about here. We need to be served, yep. And we need to serve. And I think nothing is better that God uses that file of service or being served. And he uses that as a file to work on the burrs, to get some of the edgy things off of our discipleship and our character. If you don't get anything today, this is what I want you to get here, is I would say that a lot of joy and service comes from resting in Christ, worshiping Christ, and responding to him in service. Okay, but let me finish the whole thing here. I would say a lot of joy and service comes from resting in Christ, worshiping Christ, and responding to him by serving the church where your passion, giftedness collide with opportunity.
Okay? So your passion and your giftedness collide with opportunity. Then why I say opportunity? Because <clears throat> taking a page out of some millennials' cookbooks, I can be sitting there playing video games all day, eating, pop, eating, drinking pop and eating chips and going, yeah, mom, uh, I'm just waiting for them to call me back because I, I applied to be CEO of Save on Foods. They haven't called me back yet. So I'm just waiting for that call. And meanwhile, you're just playing video games. You're not doing anything about it. You know what I'm saying? We want, we want the big old just perfect job. But mom, I'm 17 already. I, like I, I, I've taken 12, 13 years of school and I know what I'm doing. I don't understand why they're not calling me back for this position. Well, how about going back to the church and we're sitting there with passion and we're sitting there with giftedness, but we're waiting for that. just the perfect opportunity. I can hardly wait till Steve quits. <laughs> <laughs> or whatever, you know. And so I'm trying to say that he gives us passion, he gives us gifts, he gives us natural abilities, and it's really important if you're sitting here and after 20, 30 years of being a Christian, you don't even know your gift, come on, figure it out. <laughs> Sit down with me or take a spiritual gift online. That's right, the World Wide Web even has spiritual gift tests. Figure it out. Or if you're still not sure, stick your neck out and you, you volunteer for youth ministry or mops for a while and you're going, oh man, that is not my gift. Well, it's great. You've knocked on one door, let's try another. But that's how, that's how we all do it, that have gotten involved. It's really important. That passion and giftedness collide with opportunity. I'm going to uh, pause here and take a total commercial break. One of the most beautiful ways of doing this is life group. Life group is one of those places where we're trying to cultivate a place where you can grow deeper in Christ and you get to know each other and get to serve, get to understand each other's spiritual gifts or whatever. And hopefully it's a motivating place. Our group is about 10, but sometimes only four or five show up. And we can go like, oh, only four or five. I don't care. We have such a good time, according to me. Maybe ask them. I don't know. But there's people in my uh, life group that have been coming here probably seven or eight years. I knew their name. And that's about it. And now I'm like... After they leave, I'm looking at Jody, did you, and we're just blown away because we're getting to know people. We get to pray for each other. We get to remember details. We get to eat, and we laugh together. Like, it's been, it's been so refreshing to get to know each other. And that's available to every one of us. I really think everybody, all of you sitting here today, should be in a life group. Yep. Because that's a really good tool that the Lord wants to use to bring you deeper and so that we get to know each other, that we're all normal. There's a good chance that you're sitting here one day and you're going like, whoa, I don't want to sit beside Henny because Henny seems, to seem, seems like she has it all together or whatever. Or you look at somebody else and you're intimidated because they never seem to be negative or whatever. But as you get to know one another, you realize that we need each other because I got some seriously good news this week. Next week, I might be a grump pot because all, everything's gone wrong. And then I need you. You know what I'm saying? We need each other. Did I mention life group? <laughs> Thank you, Weston. We get to discuss and care for one another. Guys, even what I'm going to say and what I've just said is not about guilt. Did you notice that 
when Mary poured it out, we got guilters, we got Judases. In fact, we got Judases even here sometimes, not, not the betrayal part, but more the guilt. Sale goes like, oh, I'm being so run down. I sure wish people would volunteer for mops ministry or youth ministry. And you can see the eyeball on you and you go, uh, uh, I, I guess I'll volunteer for mops ministry. That, we don't want to do that. We really don't want to do that. But I want to be real with you. We got people that are putting in way too much time in nursery. And I'm really scared they're going to burn out. I don't want that. And I know there's way more people that are passionate about children and passionate about families, passionate that people can drop off their kiddos so that a mom and dad, for the first time in the week, get actually to sit together without getting slobber on them. Right? And they can actually hear the good news of Christ together. It's really important. It's not a guilt thing, please don't. But you know what it is? It's an opportunity, and I'm going to use the R word on you. It's also a responsibility. It's a responsibility, and it's an opportunity. What is your passion? What is your gift? Get on it. Because we have lots of opportunities, and it's a responsibility. One thing that I've done in the past, been guilty, is what I've done is I've recruited people to a certain job, so I say, okay, would you be interested? Uh, well, I might thank you. And then I put them in a position, and then I walk away to the next. And then these people are calling for air. They're going down for the third time, and all of a sudden they burn out, or after a year they just go, yeah, no thanks. I've been there, done that, and uh, oops, and I'm sorry about doing that. As a staff and as a board, we have a, a burden to help people understand their passion, help people understand their calling and their, um, their giftedness. Look for those opportunities. And what we want to do is recruit you to them, and then we want to equip you. Okay? And after that, we want to encourage you, and at some points, even energize you. And what I mean by that is we're paying attention. In fact, Steve in the back has been great at doing this. Just paying attention to, to, to folks that, boy, it's kind of neat to, uh, to hang out with you. Would you mind being a greeter? Or a frontline person. Would you mind making the coffee? And it's really cool how Steve's been quite gifted at, at recruiting people. But then we also equip them. So we show them kind of what we're after and the expectation of all that stuff. And what does it mean? What does a home run mean? Like you've done a really good job when these four things happen. Okay? So recruiting, equipping, but then we want to encourage you. Like we want to notice when you've done it right. Like great job. For instance, people at the back, when they do a bad job at the sound, you know who they are. But most Sundays, the sound is done really well, and you don't know who they are. We've got that backwards. Encourage, and then the last one, we want to energize. So all of a sudden, we see somebody that's just been head down and given her in Sunday school or in the nursery or in mops. Go, go, go. Yes, we want to encourage you. We want to continue to equip you, but we want to at some point energize you. So that might mean you get a Starbucks card or a note, or it might mean just say, you know what? What is giving you life, and what part of your job drains you? And then you take that information and go, you guys, this is draining Martha. Is there a chance that anybody in here is good at doing this? Or giving them a Sunday off or whatever it might be. So that's what you can hold us to. We want to do that for each of you. If you get involved in a ministry, we want to be able to equip you, to encourage you, and to energize you. You guys, what would happen? If all of a sudden we unleashed or we opened those doors and all of you file out of here realizing that Jesus figured you were worth dying for, 
So you learn to get your self-worth from what Christ thinks of you, not your old thoughts, not what your spouse thinks of you, not what the world tells you to think about you, but from Christ. So you learn how to be. What would happen if you learn to prioritize your life in the way that I'm going to set aside these 10 minutes, I want to connect with Jesus. In fact, I think I can even connect with Jesus on this road trip. I can actually, you know, put in music or, or, or some kind of a sermon to really connect with him, and we actually sit at the feet of Jesus and worship, ascribe him worship. So what would happen if that would happen, and then all of a sudden that is what motivates us to spills us out into serving? Then all of a sudden the whole place, the whole community, the whole town, the whole province smells like those Christians because they're putting their head down, connecting with who they actually are in Christ, connecting with actually their worship and connecting with Jesus Christ himself, and then out of that spilling into areas or opportunities to serve because they know their passion and they know their giftedness. What would happen, you guys? What would happen? Amen. We can learn something from Lazarus, from Mary and Martha. And I think this is what the world needs. A good dose of perfume of people that are surrendered to Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for your word this morning. And to me, this is such a reachable thing for everybody here. Everybody. And I'm thankful for the example of Lazarus and Martha and Mary. And I pray, Lord Jesus, by, by the Holy Spirit of God, that you would help each and every one of us to realize that there's areas of growth perhaps within our being, resting in Christ, perhaps within our worship, carving out a bit more time, or even turning our thoughts and realizing that some of the activities that we already do, we can actually use that to worship the Lord. And then, Lord, if some of us haven't been serving or have been sitting around with the excuse, I don't know my gift, I really do pray that not guilt, but I pray that the Holy Spirit of God prods that person today to figure out that area of passion and giftedness and that would collide with the opportunities we have and the responsibilities we have as a church. Lord, no better way to solidify our thoughts today than with communion. Communion helps us reflect and realize that we are worth it in your eyes. In Jesus' name, amen.
sings together from the depths of our heart tonight. Speed. 